0: Good morning. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, which can be found on page 888 in the Pew Bibles. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jesus had no dealings with Samarians. To Jesus, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock." "'Go call your husband and come here.' The woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying I have no husband, "'for you have five husbands, "'and the one you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.' The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. "'Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, "'but you say that in Jerusalem is the place.' where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for for salvation is from the Jews. For the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you want to get a grand parent to talk, ask them about their grandchildren, and I will tell you, I have the most amazing grandchildren, two grandsons, one's five years old, right, is that five, okay, I always forget, they just keep changing ages, I can't keep track, and I have a one-year-old, and they are amazing, the the five-year-old, of course, is like the example for the one-year-old, and the one-year-old, you know, like, uh, it wasn't long ago when it, the, he, he was just like a, like a lump of coal in your arms. You know what I mean? At least for grandfathers, right? For grandmothers, they're, oh, they're so cute, you know? But for us grandfathers, like, they don't do anything. They just, they eat and then stuff comes out the other end, you know? It's not too exciting. Well, he's now hit that stage where he's really, like, learning things. It's amazing how they can imitate Things and just learn them, like just like that, you know. Uh, it was uh, we were throwing a um, um, uh, what was no hot potato. My, one of my favorite was this little hot potato and it did and you throw it around and stuff. And he was throwing it. And I'm like, he just learned how to throw, just like that. That was amazing. To a grandfather, that's amazing thing. The other day we were sitting at his house and the other boy, the five-year-old, Rowan has all these remote control cars. And so the one year old uh, uh uh he doesn't talk yet. That's okay, you know. Uh, us boys we grunt a lot anyway right so he sits down and he grabs one of the remote control and he knows how to use it how in the world does a 1 year old that's scary right here's a video gamer you know at 1 year old right how do they learn these things because they imitate they follow what their their older sibling does, for good or for bad, they learn how to imitate. Well, isn't it interesting? The beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. He says, follow me. So we're going to talk about following Jesus today, Looking at the example of Jesus, learning from the example of Jesus this morning. So that was for me to get to the place where we talk about John chapter 4. It's John, one of the disciples who followed Jesus, he, in, his, in his gospel, he's got three characters that he spends over 40 verses. Okay, the verses, I get it, weren't put in until like a thousand years later where the verses go. But he spends a significant number of words to talk about this Samaritan woman. Why would he do such a thing? Except Jesus wants to teach us the the encounter with this unnamed Samaritan woman. So the message this morning is following the master into the harvest of the kingdom of God, which Tyler talked about last week, the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God. Following the master into the harvest for the kingdom of God means being logistical in our thinking, bridge building in our conversations, and focused in our responses to be a winsome witness for Jesus. Logistical. That's a big word. You know, you thought you were off today. You didn't have this board meeting or whatever. We're going to talk about logistics and strategy and tactics and everything. So what do I mean by logistical? Uh, Simply that uh, uh, there are... We have to get resources uh, that we have to a place where they're needed to be on time where they're needed. Simply resources... That we have taken to the right place at the right time. Logistics. Maybe the rest of you guys are going to correct me later on. You can do that. That's fine. Uh, Jesus was one man. One man. Think about it. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is one man launching a global movement. And he has how long? Three years. If anyone has to be logistical, Jesus had to be logistical about launching this global movement. Our world today moves just as, as uh, even faster than the days of Jesus. You know, court donkey and cart and everything else. We move fast today. We have limited time and energy and, and, so, and resources. And so we've got to be logistical. If we're going to be an effective witness in following Jesus, we need to pay attention to those things. And how did Jesus come about bringing this witness of the kingdom? Jesus says, follow me. I'll show you. Let me show you a lesson at the well. And I'll make you fishers of the people. So let's look at our passage this morning, John chapter 4. The first verses that I want you to look at is the, is the geography thing. You see, Jesus was on his way from, from Jerusalem. And John is the gospel writer that focused most on Jerusalem. Because really, where was Jesus' base? It was in Capernaum, right? Along the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus had some some, some things happening there that, that made it so that he probably should move from Jerusalem back to Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee. And then we have these verses. And he had to go through Samaria. Most of the commentary uh, commentators will tell you, this is, a, this is a command. It's almost like this, this, this compelling. I must go through Jerusalem. I must go. There's this idea of being sent to Samaria. I must go to Samaria, not Jerusalem, sorry. From Jerusalem to Samaria. I am sent. One of the most common words in the Gospel of John is the word sent. He uses that, and at the very begin, very end of the Gospels, he, with the disciples and the, at the resurrection, Jesus is there, and what does he say to them? As the Father has sent me. So I send you. Those are the words of, of Jesus. We are asked to be sent. What does being sent mean? Wherever you are, you are sent. Wherever you live in Marblehead or wherever it is on the North Shore that you are, you are sent. I was sent. Jan and I were sent to 12 Legs Hill Road. Hallelujah. Thank you. <laughs> And God sent us there. Wherever you are sent in your job, you are sent wherever you are in that. We have uh, um, some folks that have been going through uh, cancer treatment. And they're sent to a hospital. They are sent. And I know them. And that they know that God has sent them there to be a witness. Wherever you go, you are sent. Okay, here's... uh, my illustration. Uh, Before the pandemic, uh, I have a tendency, you can ask my wife, to drive fast. Yeah. Well, I was driving one place. I was dropping off my taxes in the middle of Massachusetts, near Sturbridge. And I was coming back, and I said, you know, I'm going to take a back road. And this, and so I'm driving through. I've never been there. Don't know the speed limits or anything. I come up this hill. Next thing you know, flashing lights, right? Oh, man, you know, what are you doing? And Your address is Marblehead, but that's not your registration, says Milbury. Which are you? Oh, man, I'm in trouble, right? So that all happens before the pandemic. The pandemic happens, and so I can't even go and settle this speeding ticket. I figure, oh, good, it'll just, they'll forget about it. It won't happen. Next thing you know, oh, yeah, I get this. Court appearance. Oh, great. I could go back to Sturbridge and go to Speeding Court. Well, it was the first day that uh, the court was open. This is They've been in pandemic. They've been on vacation or whatever for a year or something. Now all of a sudden they start this thing. And so I'm there early. I drove all the way there. I'm there. Okay, I've got what I'm going to say and why, what, what am I, you know, pictures of, of of the lack of speed limit signs. Hello. Um, and all of that. And, and so I'm ready to do this. And I get to the front door and they're like, oh, no, uh, you got to go around the back door. So so there's a bunch of us now. We're just all like walking around, not knowing where we're supposed to go. We go to the back door, and then, of course, the, you know, the, the um, what do you call it, where you have to take everything out of your pockets and go through the, uh, the scanner thing like that. We take everything out, and we go through the scanner, and they go, okay, now, uh, we want you to go out the door and go back around to the front again. <laughs> really? So this time, we're all helping each other now. Now we're, we're like a crowd, and we're walking, and we're getting to know each other and stuff. And I see the guy with the Vietnam vet hat on, and I start talking to him and things like that. And we get to the front, and we, you know, they open the door, and you're like talking to the judge through the window, you know. I didn't mean it. Okay, good. You're fine. You're, you're done. You know, uh, no, no, you're, you're uh Relieved of your debt, thank you. You know, so I go back to my car and I'm like, Hallelujah! This is great. You know, and the Vietnam vet comes back and How would it go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, they, they they said you know it's it's okay, it's okay. Great, great. Hey, how's, you know, I'm uh, I'm a vet too, and and we start talking, and next thing you know, he starts pouring his heart out to me in front of the speeding court. His daughter had overdosed on drugs and died. He had one other daughter and he showed me pictures. I mean, literally took pictures out, like this pictures, out of his car and showed me. And and I'm so sorry. He goes, now I have another daughter and she's also addicted to drugs. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can I pray with you? And I prayed with this man, I gave him my card and said, you need to call, you want to talk, you want to pray, call and talk. Let's, let's, let's stay in touch. Do you don't think that God sent me the speeding court? Yeah, you know, out of my knuckleheadness, but I was sent there. Wherever you go, you are sent but it's it's a matter of having that logistical mind to think that, okay, I don't know how I got here, but here I am. Okay, Lord, use me. To be sent, to have that idea of sentness. Let's go on to another verse because we've got a a whole bunch here. Um, It said that Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Jesus, the son of God, The God of the universe in human flesh, he's tired. Yes, that's what incarnation means, he's in the flesh. He gets tired like we do. He was tired. He was probably hot because it's the noontime of the day. He's sitting out there in that desert. You saw that picture. You know, sitting there out in the, maybe there was a canopy over it, but hoping there's a little wind breeze through there. He's tired. He's hot. He's hungry because he sent the disciples off to McDonald's or Panera or someplace to get something to eat. And he's thirsty. is it a wonder that God has sent us and we have the same bodies that we go into the world and stuff happens and God sends us into the world suffering like the rest of the people in the world when you get to be a Christian you don't be healthy, happy, healthy and wise forever right? well maybe forever but here now you suffer the same things that other people do That means you rub up against other people who are suffering like you do. And you have this opportunity. Don't waste those times that God gives you to be weak. To be there and to show what it's like to have the life of Jesus in you and yet in the world. Alongside of them. Alongside of them. And then it says that a Samaritan woman came to the well. Well, that was the reason Jesus went. He's sitting there at the well. The disciples are off getting food, and he's sitting there, and a woman, a Samaritan woman, comes to the well. We call that divine appointments. God gives every one of us divine appointments every day, and we don't see them unless we look for them. He says, he, he uh, has sent us, right? And so it's a wonder when someone comes and, and it's, it's like exactly the right person for you to talk to. And you didn't know it. Divine appointments. I was uh, writing my thesis and my thesis, you could wonder, is on evangelism on training, on evangelism. And I'm sitting in Panera because it was the place that would stay open the latest that I could sit there and type. So I would sit there every night at Panera uh, near my house and until 11.30 because they're still cleaning, and, and then the bakers come, and I'm like, oh, can I stay longer? You know, uh, But I'd be sitting there, and I remember every Wednesday I would go there, there was a man who would sit in the window, and he would try to catch my eye. And I was like, okay, that's creepy, you know. Uh, But I'm like, okay, I think he wants to talk, but the dilemma is I need to be typing and writing about evangelism or should, Lord, should I be doing evangelism? (laughs) So guess what? Wednesdays I would talk to this man, a Jewish man. He was a man with great compassion. He had uh, foster children and adopted children at home. I saw this guy's heart, and we had these meetings. It was divine appointments every Wednesday. I'm there to get away from people, but God keeps giving me divine appointments. And what can you do? You have to go with it. And that's what God does with us. And then Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? Wow. Jesus could have just like, you know, like he took water and turned it into wine. Could he took dust and turn it into water? He could have. But in humility, he comes and he says, give me, will you? It says in in the the one we read, give me water. Um, Not sure, I would check the Greek, right? But it was a question. It was a place of humility. Will you give me? Sometimes we as Christians, we go out in the world and we make an appearance to the world that we've got it all together. Got it all good. You know, thank you, you know, Jesus and me, we got it good. But a lot of times there's, a, there's an opportunity when we come humbly and we have a need in our life, God opens a door in their heart. This is New England, you know. We got this thing, right? And, and so um, I, I have this habit of not shoveling my driveway. I just thought of this just now. <laughs> and guess what? My neighbor goes out and plows, Tim plows my driveway. Because, you know, the other guy also had a snow plow. So they used to fight, in front of my house and I would just sit there and watch nice and warm in my house as these guys would fight to clean my sidewalk in front of uh, 12 Legs Hill Road thank you Jesus (laughs) but but I've learned that you know if I just think that I have it all together and they're like yeah okay but sometimes God uses our own humility to open the door where they say hey preacher I got you I, I I got this. I, I know you got a whole bunch of things to do, people to talk to, but I got this because I got the snowplower. Yeah. That makes me feel good. It draws me closer to you because I get to help you. So let them snowplow. No. <laughs> let them help you. Let them be that be in that place of humility so that God could open a door. Who knows? but that God could open that door. So those are some of the logistical things that happen. But let's look at the bridge building conversations that we can have and Jesus models for us. Jesus said to him, to her, give me, will you give me a drink? That's a question. Interesting enough, Jesus asked 183 questions in the Gospels and answered three. And then 307 times he asked a question back when they asked him something. He actually used it to ask another question. Jesus models in us this fact that that questions are a powerful thing. And when instead of uh, evangelism or being a witness, we're out there to tell them we are the experts and we're going to tell you something. Maybe God is calling us to ask questions. Open-ended questions questions. A question that doesn't can't can't end with good and you. We were talking about that in class this morning. You know, that's that level, you know, and we think we're asking a real question. How you doing? And they say, good and you. How are you doing? Good and you. It doesn't go anywhere, does it? So we have to come up with questions that are open-ended, that that, you know, so we were working, workshopping it a little bit this morning. How can that be a better question? You know? And one of the ways that I've done it is I would say, so what kind of a day, right? So they can't say good and you. What kind of a day are you having today? And I found that when you take a little bit of effort and you think about the questions that you ask people, because if you really want to hear from them, you have to do a little bit of work of, of doing that. And, and so um, I remember in Stop and Shop asking that question, and next thing you know, the teenager there just said, you know, I was just I was asleep about 15 minutes away, you know, ago, and now they called me into work, and I got to work here till late. I got this whole story of his life. With a, just a little bit of effort of asking questions and being interested in people. Because, because if we are interested, if we're going to share the gospel, we need to show interest in them. How do you do that? It can be a wonderful way of getting to know somebody and listening and hearing for those clues. Where we can move the conversation perhaps closer to spiritual things. Then another thing, Jesus said... Uh, there was this uh, conversation, and um, the woman says to Jesus, "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Uh, uh, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman." Jesus crosses barriers. He's inviting us to follow him through crossing barriers. Think about that in that in that scenario. Here is Jesus, a man, talking to a woman. He is a Jew. She is a Samaritan, he is a holy man, and she is a shamed woman. That's three barriers that Jesus had to cross in order to get near this woman. Are we willing to cross those barriers? You know, we lived in Westboro, Massachusetts, and I thought a Walmart there in Westboro, Massachusetts, was for us like a third world country, or I don't know if you can say that anymore. Um, a, um, a United Nations. You, you, when you went there, you know what I mean. You went there, and there were people that you were like, are we still in America? I mean, there's the, the Sikh with the, with the turban on his head and the hajibs around some of the workers and some of the people there. And they were, he was like, wow, this is amazing. You know? This, wow, I don't have to go overseas anymore. I could be a missionary at Walmart. <laughs> so how do you cross those barriers ask a question so uh, tell me about the. I don't know if a guy could do that but uh, as a woman maybe you would say so I, I love your scarf it's you know you don't know what it's called what is it called <laughs> a hajib uh, so what does it mean and, and start those questions be the dumb person in the room because we are because <laughs> we don't know. We're Americans. We just do our thing and, you know, the world out there. But we have this opportunity to cross barriers, be the learner in a situation and, uh, and see where those barriers begin. That's, that's humility again, right? Humility again. And then Jesus says to her, he, uh, he would have given, um, he would. the verse there is, he would have given you living water. This is the idea of living water. Jesus says, If you knew who I was, you would know that I could give you living water. Realize in our humility that we have something that they need. It's not an opinion. It's what we believe. If you're a believer today, you know that this is living water. You've experienced eternal life. You know that this is the best way to live. A friend of mine said, you know, if it's all fake... If it, if, it, if it really isn't, if Jesus really didn't die on the cross and rise from the, from the dead, you know what? I'm having the best life I could ever live. But we believe he did rise from the dead. And we are living the best way that God has called us to live. And we have something to offer people. Living water. So we don't downplay the fact that we have living water but we present it in humility. I love that definition of evangelism from this Methodist preacher in India, N.T. Niles. I had to look up who he was because that's what you do in a doctorate program. But he said, evangelism is just simply one beggar telling another beggar where the food is, where the bread is. That's who we are. It's, It's real bread. It's not my opinion that it will fill your stomach and nourish you. It really is bread. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we are simply humble beggars going, Hey, 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 I got something that you need. You may not know that you need it now, but we have something here that you need. And I just got there a little before you, maybe a day before you got there, and I just want to share that with you. And that's what evangelism is, is just sharing what we have with someone else. It may not be perfect. We may not be living the perfect Christian life, but we've found something that, that is worth sharing with other people. So how do we bring, bring that? We've got to find what they're thirsting for. Thirsty. He said, give me this water, the woman says, in response to Jesus' offer. He said, she says, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. What are people thirsty for? Forbes magazine wrote an article, a line anyway, top eight things that people desperately want but don't have. And it's the typical things, and you could probably guess them. Here's here's a, as a partial list of them: happiness, purpose, meaning, fulfillment, peace. This generation, the millennial, that my kids are in kind of the millennial generation, they want to make a difference. We have the greatest global movement in the world. You want to make a difference. For eternity, hello, join this movement. We have something that they thirst for. When you really get down to it, what are they about? I love it one time, one of our uh, members of our church, and she was kind of like the evangelist in the church, and she was surprised one day. She was sitting there at some, some meeting, a war's banquet or something, and the guy who is not even a believer next to her says, are you fulfilled in your life? I should be asking you. <laughs> and she goes, as a matter of fact, let me tell you about how God has filled my life. But we must move on. Logistics in our thinking, bridge building in our conversations, and focus in our response. You see, the woman says, give me that water. And Jesus says, time out, one more thing. Go get your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. How did Jesus know that? He's he's God, (laughs) but He also has the Holy Spirit, and you do too. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about listening prayer, asking God, Give me insight. Maybe it's clues. Uh, One of the things I do is, uh, when I meet someone, is uh, even men, not just women, I look for wedding rings. So, you're married. Oh, yeah, well, I still wear it. And they'll tell you whether they're married or not. It may not mean something, but you've started a conversation about who they are. But Jesus knew something about this woman, either supernaturally or by the hints of the fact that she showed up in the worst time of the day, to go get water as a woman. He knew that there was a shame in her life, that there were some things that are going on, and he took a, maybe he took a guess, an educated guess, or maybe the Holy Spirit prompted him, and, and he understood a little bit more about who this woman was and, and why she was there at noontime getting water in the heat of the day. And so he asked her about it. And then she changed the. Oh, you're a prophet. Oh, you're a prophet. Well, let me ask you a question. Our ancestors. So she asks a theological question. Our ancestors um, uh, worship on this mountain and on this hill, uh, Mount Gerizim, and you, uh, you know, worship on Mount Zion. You say we have to go there, but our. Uh, People uh, say, we should go there. And she starts this uh, this theological conversation. And when you begin to have those conversations, you will have those difficult things. Well, you know, if God's so loving, why would he send anybody to hell? You know, if God's so loving, why would he allow somebody to have cancer? Why wouldn't he just heal them all? If God were, you know. And you know those theological questions because you've probably heard them. As you've, as you've had these conversations. Sometimes those questions are real. And sometimes they're getting away from talking about me. About my shame. About my disappointment with my life. About the things that I'm not proud of, of my life. But let's talk about theological things instead. Let's stay away from the personal things and a lot of us as believers, well, well, we'll break out the theological books, the apologetics books. We get out Josh McDowell and, and you know all these books, and, and figure out how to answer those questions. And we realize that wasn't the real issue. Let me tell you about my roommate in college. Um, I had uh, we were both church going kids, and we went off into this wild fraternity life as as college kids in the seventies. Animal House. I lived it, okay? Um, and, uh, and I came to the Lord first. I came back to the Lord first. And so now I'm praying for my roommate, and I'm trying to share the gospel with him, and he's just not having it. He's still having a you know, party and you know, crazy music, and I'm like, please, it's my stereo. I've just dedicated it to Jesus, and you want to play what on it? And he came come to one summer, and he decided to stay at school and work there at school, and I was at home, and we decided we'd go to our favorite beach. We were both runners, so we got on the beach. It's like seven and a half miles. I don't know if we ran the whole thing, but it felt like it. We ran all the way to the, se- one way, seven and a half, then back, okay? And the whole way, we're talking. So now you know we're runners, right? Because you can talk while you're running. And he's asking me all of those theological questions. And he went through every single, how do you know the Bible is true? Uh, Well, why is Jesus the only way? You know, wouldn't God, God, hell, loving God, you know, all those questions. And as patiently as I could, I answered them as well as I could at that point without seminary. thank you. Uh, But I had read enough books to answer some, have some kind of a question, answer to those questions. And we got done with that and we went home. He went back to school and God prompted me to write a letter to him. And I said, you know what? I could answer more and more and more of your questions. But I don't think that's the issue. I challenged him and and, and so don't take this as this is the way you should approach your unbelieving friend. I says. He's a scientist, right? I said, let's do an experiment. I said, challenged him. I says, give your life to Jesus for 30 days. Just give it to him. You you know enough about the Bible to just pray and ask God, take my life, run my life for the next 30 days. And then call me after that. Well, it wasn't even 30 days. And he gets on the phone, and he calls me, and he says, Steve, I can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. This is amazing. I was like, what, what happened? Oh, my, I gave my life to Jesus, and, and things are happening around me. He says, all right, call me up. We'll, 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 get, we'll go get pizza. We went to this pizza place. We're eating pizza, and he's telling me all these wonderful things that God would, had started doing in his life. And as a guy behind us, I could tell you what he was wearing. It was a shark. What do you call that? Shark tooth, um, you know, Dacron, cheap old jacket on behind me. That's all I know about him gray hair, peppered hair, and he was wearing this cheap suit coat behind us. And we get up to finish uh, uh, paying for our pizza, and we get up, and the guy goes, You're good. What do you mean, we're good? I need to pay for the pizza. He goes, Oh, no, that guy behind you, he paid for the pizza. We ran out the door, we're looking, and he was gone. It was like an angel. It was like, whoa. But he took the challenge. You see, the question wasn't, you know, is Jesus the only way? It was, would Jesus accept me? Would I be accepted by him? All the things I've done in my life, all things, will he still accept me? That's what she really wanted to know. Can, can I really truly worship the living God? Do I, that, that temple I'm not allowed to go to, do I have to go there? No, God is seeking those who would, would come in spirit and in truth. And Jesus kept the focus of the question, not on going off in these theological rabbit trails, but the heart. And finally, Jesus says, I am he. The goal for for you is to point them to Jesus. Not that, hey, I'm, I'm great. You know, I put my faith in Jesus and look at my life. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, to point to Jesus. He is the one. He is the one who will accept you. He is the one who will give you living water. That will well up inside of you unto eternal life. And that's not the only place that Jesus, he stole that that illustration from Isaiah, but uses it several times. He stands up in the middle of, of a festival there and he says, is anybody thirsty? Let him come to me and you can drink and And fountains of water will well up inside of you. And John goes, oh, by the way, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling us to be a winsome witness. Will you become that? Will you be sent Will you be aware of where God sends you and the divine appointments he gives you? Will you be listening to his Holy Spirit when you engage in conversations in the shop and and in the grocery store, in the community, wherever wherever God sends you? Will you be curious to those around you and ask open-ended questions and do it with humility? God is calling us to walk across the room, to walk across the street, to walk where we have to go. God asks us to be filled. That passage I mentioned, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And you know what he did after that? He breathed on the, on the disciples. He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Well, that's like, that's like college and I am in kindergarten. I just need to know where. I'm thirsty. And Jesus says, what keeps you from drinking? Isaiah says, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Jesus says, just come. I remember this Sorry, just one more, one more Steve story, right? I remember as a a young youth pastor and uh, there was this one woman that was over here, sorry, and she was praying and her husband's sitting there next to her and he just was sitting there with his arms, anybody folding your hands? Sorry, folding his arms, just sitting there going, okay, I'm a husband to this woman, I have to be here. And I don't know what I said that day. But I invited him, I invited, invited people to come. And in his heart he did. Amazing thing is, his son is now today, at this hour, being installed as the pastor of that church. Because he came, because he was thirsty. Because a humble, whatever silly youth pastor was willing to invite somebody to go to come to Jesus. May you have that influence. You don't you have no idea what God will do with the next person you talk to. They may be the next Billy Graham. You may be the next Billy Graham. 99 years old. Hello. let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus, for the example that you gave us and that John was able to record for us that we can find ah, a way to be the light, to be the salt, to be a witness for you. Lord, help us to love people. We prayed for the preborn And we prayed for those along the way. Lord, help us value life enough to open our hearts, open our hands, open our mouths. And value the people around us by sharing the love of Jesus. Help us. Send us, Lord. Lord, here we are. Fill us with your spirit. And use us for your gospel in your kingdom, for the glory of Jesus. Amen.